0: Book one Chapter five of Michael Strogoff by Jules Verne. This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter five. The two announcements. Nizhny Novgorod, Lower Novgorod, situate at the junction of the Volga and the Oka, is the chief town in the district of the same name. It was here that Michael Strogoff was obliged to leave the railway which at the time did not go beyond that town. Thus, as he advanced, his travelling would become first less speedy, and then less safe. Nizhny Novgorod, the fixed population of which is only from thirty to thirty-five thousand inhabitants, contained at that time more than three hundred thousand. That is to say, the population was increased tenfold. This addition was in consequence of the celebrated fair, which was held within the walls for three weeks. Formerly Makariev had the benefit of this concourse of traders, but since 1817 the fair had been removed to Nizhny Novgorod. Even at the late hour, at which Michael Strogov left the platform, there was still a large number of people in the two towns, separated by the stream of Volga, which composed nizhni Novgorod. The highest of these is built on a steep rock, and defended by a fort, called in Russia Kreml. Michael Strogoff expected some trouble in finding a hotel, or even an inn, to suit him. As he had not to start immediately, for he was going to take a steamer, he was compelled to look out for some lodging. But before doing so, he wished to know exactly the hour at which the steamboat would start. He went to the office of the company, whose boats plied between nizhni Novgorod and Perm. There, to his great annoyance, he found that no boat started for Perm till the following day at twelve o'clock. Seventeen hours to wait, it was very vexatious to a man so pressed for time. However, he never senselessly murmured. Besides, the fact was that no other conveyance could take him so quickly either to Perm or Kazan. It would be better, then, to wait for the steamer, which would enable him to regain lost time. Here then was Michael Strogoff strolling through the town and quietly looking out for some inn in which to pass the night. However, he troubled himself little on that score, and, but that hunger pressed him, he would probably have wandered on till morning in the streets of Nizhny Novgorod. He was looking for supper rather than a bed, but he found both at the sign of the city of Constantinople. There the landlord offered him a fairly comfortable room, with little furniture, it is true, but not without an image of the Virgin, and a few saints framed in yellow gauze. A goose filled with sour stuffing swimming in thick cream, barley bread, some curds, powdered sugar mixed with cinnamon, and a jug of kvas, the ordinary Russian beer, were placed before him, and sufficed to satisfy his hunger he did justice to the meal which was more than could be said of his neighbor at table who having in his character of old believer of the sect of raskalniks made the vow of abstinence rejected the potatoes in front of him and carefully refrained from putting sugar in his tea his supper finished michael strogoff instead of going up to his bedroom again strolled out into the town but although the long twilight he had lingered the crowd was already dispersing the streets were gradually becoming empty, and at length everyone retired to his dwelling. Why did not Michael Strogoff go quietly to bed, as would have seemed more reasonable after a long railway journey? Was he thinking of the young Livonian girl who had been his traveling companion? Having nothing better to do, he was thinking about her. Did he fear that, lost in this busy city, she might be exposed to insult? He feared so, and with good reason. Did he hope to meet her, and, if need were, to afford her protection? No, to meet would be difficult. As to protection, what right had he? Alone, he said to himself, alone, in the midst of these wandering tribes.
1: And yet the present dangers are nothing compared to those she must undergo. Siberia, Irkutsk, I am about to dare all risks for Russia, for the Tsar while she is about to do so for whom for what she is authorized to cross the frontier the country beyond is in revolt the steps are full of tartar bands michael strogoff stopped for an instant and reflected without doubt thought he she must have determined on undertaking her journey before the invasion perhaps she is even now ignorant of what is happening but no that cannot be the merchants discussed before her the disturbances in siberia and she did not seem surprised she did not even ask an explanation she must have known it then and knowing it is still resolute poor girl her motive for the journey must be urgent indeed but though she may be brave and she certainly is so her strength must fail her and to say nothing of dangers and obstacles she will be unable to endure the fatigue of such a journey never can she reach irkutsk
0: indulging in such reflections michael strogoff wandered on as chance led him being well acquainted with the town he knew that he could easily retrace his steps Having strolled on for about an hour, he seated himself on a bench against the wall of a large wooden cottage, which stood, with many others, on a vast open space. He had scarcely been there five minutes when a hand was laid heavily on his shoulder.
1: "'What are you doing here?'
0: roughly demanded a tall and powerful man who had approached unperceived. "'I am resting,' replied Michael Strogoff.
1: "'Do you mean to stay all night?' "'On the bench?'
0: "'Yes, if I feel inclined to do so,' answered Michael Strogoff, in a tone somewhat too sharp for the simple merchant he wished to personate. "'Come
1: forward, then, so I can see you,'
0: said the man. Michael Strogoff, remembering that, above all, prudence was requisite, instinctively drew back. "'It is not necessary,' he replied, and calmly stepped back ten paces the man seemed as michael observed him well to have the look of a bohemian such as are met at fairs and with whom contact either physical or moral is unpleasant then as he looked more attentively through the dusk he perceived near the cottage a large caravan the usual travelling dwelling of the zingaris or gypsies who swarm in asia wherever a few kopecks can be obtained As the gypsy took two or three steps forward, and was about to interrogate Michael Strogoff more closely, the door of the cottage opened. He could just see a woman who spoke quickly in a language which Michael Strogoff knew to be a mixture of Mongol and Siberian.
1: Another spy. Let him alone and come to supper. The Popluka is waiting for you.
0: Michael Strogoff could not help smiling at the epithet bestowed on him, dreading spies as he did above all else. In the same dialect, although his accent was very different, the bohemian replied in words which signify You are right, Sangarel. Besides, we stay tomorrow. Tomorrow? repeated the woman in surprise. Yes, Sangar, replied the bohemian. Tomorrow. And the father
1: himself sends us where we are going.
0: Thereupon, the man and the woman entered the cottage and carefully closed the door. "'Good,' said Michael Strogoff to himself.
1: "'If these gypsies do not wish to be understood when they speak before me, they had better use some other language.'"
0: From his Siberian origin, and because he had passed his childhood in the steppes, Michael Strogoff, it had been said, understood almost all the languages in usage from Tartary to the Sea of Ice. As to the exact signification of the words he had heard, he did not trouble his head, for why should it interest him? It was already late when he thought of returning to his inn to take some repose. He followed, as he did so, the course of the Volga, whose waters were almost hidden under the countless numbers of boats floating on its bosom. An hour after, Michael Strogoff was sleeping soundly on one of those Russian beds, which always seem so hard to strangers. And on the morrow, the 17th of July, he awoke at break of day. He had still five hours to pass in Nizhny Novgorod. It seemed to him an age. How was he to spend the morning unless in wandering, as he had done the evening before through the streets? By the time he had finished his breakfast, strapped up his bag, had his podoroina inspected at the police office, he would have nothing to do but start. But he was not a man to lie in bed after the sun had risen, so he rose, dressed himself, placed the letter with the imperial arms on it carefully at the bottom of its usual pocket within the lining of his coat over which he fastened his belt he then closed his bag and threw it over his shoulder this done he had no wish to return to the city of constantinople and intending to breakfast on the bank of the volga near the wharf he settled his bill and left the inn by way of precaution michael strogoff went first to the office of the steam packet company and there made sure that the caucasus would start at the appointed hour as he did so the thought for the first time struck him that since the young livonian girl was going to perm it was very possible that her intention was also to embark in the caucasus in which case he should accompany her the town above with its kremlin whose circumference measures two versts and which resembles that of moscow was altogether abandoned even the governor did not reside there but if the town above was like a city of the dead, the town below, at all events, was alive. Michael Strogoff, having crossed the Volga on a bridge of boats, guarded by mounted Cossacks, reached the square where the evening before he had fallen in with the gypsy camp. This was somewhat outside the town, where the fair of nizhni Novgorod was held. In a vast plain rose the temporary palace of the governor-general, where, by imperial orders, that great functionary resided during the whole of the fair, which, thanks to the people who composed it, required an ever-watchful surveillance. This plain was now covered with booths symmetrically arranged in such a manner as to leave avenues broad enough to allow the crowd to pass without a crash. Each group of these booths, of all sizes and shapes, formed a separate quarter, particularly dedicated to some special branch of commerce. There was the iron quarter, the farrier's quarter, the woollen quarter, the quarter of the wood merchants, the weaver's quarter, the dried fish quarter, etc. Some booths were even built of fancy materials, some of bricks of tea, others of masses of salt meat, that is to say, of samples of the goods which the owners thus announced were there to the purchasers, a singular and somewhat American mode of advertisement in the avenues and long valleys there was already a large assemblage of people the sun which had risen at four o'clock being well above the horizon an extraordinary mixture of europeans and asiatics talking wrangling haranguing and bargaining everything which can be bought or sold seemed to be heaped up in this square furs precious stones silks cashmere shawls, turkey carpets weapons from the caucasus gauzes from smyrna and isfahan Tiflis armour, caravantees, European bronzes, Swiss clocks, velvets and silks from lions English cottons, harness, fruits, vegetables, minerals from the Ural, malachite, lapis lazuli, spices, perfumes, medicinal herbs, wood, tar, rope, horn, pumpkins, watermelons, etc., all the products of India, China, Persia, from the shores of the Caspian and the Black Sea, from America and Europe were united at this corner of the globe. It is scarcely possible, truly, to portray the moving mass of human beings surging here and there, the excitement, the confusion, the hubbub. Demonstrative as were the natives and the inferior classes, they were completely outdone by their visitors. There were merchants from Central Asia, who had occupied a year in escorting their merchandise across its vast plains and who would not again see their shops and counting-houses for another year to come. In short, of such importance is the fair of Nizhny Novgorod, that the sum total of its transactions amounts yearly to nearly a hundred million dollars. On one of the open spaces between the quarters of this temporary city were numbers of mountebanks of every description, gipsies from the mountains, telling fortunes to the credulous fools who are ever to be found in such assemblies, zingaris or tziganes a name which the russians give to the gipsies who are descendants of the ancient copts singing their wildest melodies and dancing their most original dances comedians of foreign theatres acting shakespeare adapted to the taste of spectators who crowded to witness them in the long avenues the bare showmen accompanied their four-footed dancers Menageries resounded with the hoarse cries of animals under the influence of the stinging whip or red-hot irons of the tamer, and, besides all these numberless performers, in the middle of the central square, surrounded by a circle four deep of enthusiastic amateurs, was a band of mariners of the Volga, sitting on the ground as on the deck of their vessel, imitating the action of rowing, guided by the stick of the master of the orchestra, the veritable helmsman of this imaginary vessel a whimsical and pleasing custom. Suddenly, according to a time-honored observance in the fair of Nizhny Novgorod, above the heads of the vast concourse, a flock of birds was allowed to escape from the cages in which they had been brought to the spot. In return for a few kopecks charitably offered by some good people, the bird-fanciers opened the prison doors of their captives, who flew out in hundreds uttering their joyous notes it should be mentioned that england and france at all events were this year represented at the great fair of nizhny novgorod by two of the most distinguished products of modern civilization messieurs harry blount and alcide jolivet jolivet an optimist by nature found everything agreeable and as by chance both lodging and food were to his taste he jotted down in his book some memoranda particularly favourable to the town of Nizhni novgorod blount on the contrary having in vain hunted for a supper had been obliged to find a resting-place in the open air he therefore looked at it all from another point of view and was preparing an article of the most withering character against a town in which the landlords of the inns refused to receive travellers who only begged leave to be flayed morally and physically Michael Strogoff, one hand in his pocket, the other holding his cherry stemmed pipe, appeared the most indifferent and least impatient of men. Yet from a certain contraction of his eyebrows every now and then, a careful observer would have seen that he was burning to be off. For two hours he kept walking about the streets, only to find himself invariably at the fair again. As he passed among the groups of buyers and sellers, he discovered that those who came from countries on the confines of Asia manifested great uneasiness. Their trade was visibly suffering. Another symptom was also marked. In Russia, military uniforms appear on every occasion. Soldiers are wont to mix freely with the crowd, the police agents being almost invariably aided by a number of Cossacks, who, lance on shoulder, keep order in the crowd of 300,000 strangers but on this occasion the soldiers cossacks and the rest did not put in an appearance at the great market doubtless a sudden order to move having been foreseen they were restricted to their barracks moreover while no soldiers were to be seen it was not so with their officers since the evening before aides de camp leaving the governor's palace galloped in every direction an unusual movement was going forward which a serious state of affairs could alone account for There were innumerable couriers on the roads, both to Vladimir and to the Ural Mountains. The exchange of telegraphic dispatches with Moscow was incessant. Michael Strogoff found himself in the central square, when the report spread that the head of the police had been summoned by a courier to the palace of the governor-general. An important dispatch from Moscow, it was said, was the cause of it. The fair is to be closed, said one. The regiment of Nizhny Novgorod has received the route declared another. They say that the Tartars menaced Tom's... Here Here is the the head head of police! was shouted on every side. A loud clapping of hands was suddenly raised, which subsided by degrees, and finally was succeeded by absolute silence. The head of police arrived in the middle of the central square, and it was seen by all that he held in his hand a dispatch. Then, in a loud voice, he read the following announcements. By the order of the governor of ninjna
1: Novgorod, First, all Russian subjects are forbidden to quit the province upon any pretext whatsoever. Second, all strangers of Asiatic origin
0: are commanded to leave the province within 24 hours. End of chapter 5